a lot of women come to us for help and support and guidance and but so often I feel like I'm changed as a person because of them because of their story because of the way that I see God working in their story this type of work is hard like it's wearing even eight years later there's still days that I go home and I'll cry because it's just a lot of sadness and a lot of heartbreak think about the darkest place in your life think about the hardest time in your life the hardest season of your life and imagine going that alone imagine having to do that without knowing God without um, having support without having financial resources and the question I was would ask is what would you want so when I think about our clients they want to feel loved. They want to know they are loved. They want to know that they are cared for. They want to know that they are important, that they're worthy. I mean, so many walk in and they their worth is just dirt on the floor. I mean, it's, they've just been shut down so many times. What keeps me coming back is that I'm always reminded that God has set me here for a purpose. And as hard as it is sometimes to walk in these doors and know that there are five women that are on the schedule that are all set on abortion that I'm gonna have to see today, I mean, it's overwhelming sometimes. But then I step back and I say, all right, God, you've brought me here. You've placed me in this position. I've given you my word that I'm going to be your hands and feet here and I'm going to be open to what you have in store for me. And that's what I do and that's what I'm here for. I love getting to love women and love them where they're at. We are a ministry that we pride ourselves in saying we are pro-women. We want these women to come in and we want them to not just hear our words, but we want them to experience that love of Jesus. We want to bring the love of Christ firsthand to them because a lot of them haven't experienced that. To have centers like us to come alongside them, to remind them that they have more choices than abortion, that there's more hope out there, that they matter, that they're worthy of having hope, that they're worthy of having love, that they're worthy of having a future that's bright. By us being able to open more centers, I mean, we can just spread that light farther and farther. Well, again, we're so thankful to be able to partner with Caring Network. Would you just join me in prayer as we open up God's Word now? 
Heavenly Father, we just come to you now and we're thankful for ministries, for people that tell women that they matter, that they are worthy of love. God, we're thankful that that is the way that you view us. Lord, that each one of us here is, you, you view each one of us in love and in compassion, with grace. Lord, that you want peace over each one of us. Father, as we open up your word, I just ask that you would uh, just speak to us now through your spirit. Lord, that you would teach us something new, that you would show us how to live more like you. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for Christmas this year. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, again, it's so good to be back here at the South Street campus. It's always a joy to be able to worship with you, uh, especially as we anticipate Christmas in under a week now. And many of you are aware, uh, I've shared this a few weeks ago when I was with you last, that Judy and I uh, recently became parents. In fact, our son, Luca, uh, turns 10 weeks old today. And so we're very uh, thankful for those 10 weeks with him. But I remember finding out that we were going to be parents, and in particular, the time that we found out that we were going to be having a boy. And I think this may be kind of a generational thing, but nowadays, when you find out that you're going to be having a baby, there's this pressure to do what's called a gender reveal party. Is anyone familiar with that? Have you been to one, heard of one? In case you haven't, basically what you do is you gather your friends and your family, and you come up with some creative way to share whether you're having a boy or a girl. And I think it's part uh, of our, uh, we millennials, our quest to get more attention, which is all we really want. Um, (laughs) And so some people will come together and they'll get a cake and you'll cut the cake and inside it'll be pink or blue or they'll pop a balloon and there's different colored powder. It's a lot of fun and it's a great time. Sometimes, though, people take these gender reveal parties a bit too far. In fact, I came across this, um, I, I read this story a, a while back. This happened, I think, a few years ago. But a while back, this couple had an idea uh, for their gender reveal party. In fact, I brought some pictures with me. Go ahead and put the first picture up. It's a little blurry, so if you can't tell what that is, they uh, took a target and filled it with explosives, which is never the start of a story that ends well. Um, and so they exploded it, and it's blue. They're having a boy. Woo, that's so exciting. Go to the next picture, though, because then something bad happened. That's fire. Um, And then I think I have one more picture. That's what happened. So that is um, 47,000 acres worth of damage, and they had to pay $8 million because of that. So we decided to keep our gender reveal party pretty low-key when we found out. There's something within us, though. There's something about our nature as people that when we get good news, we want to share it, isn't there? Maybe you know that feeling of of something good happening, something unexpected, something exciting, and you just want to tell someone, whether it's telling a friend or a family member or, or posting on Facebook or starting a forest fire. But there's something about how we've been created. This is how we are just instinctively respond to good news. We want to share it with the world. We want to shout it from the rooftops. We want people to know what has happened. This idea, this theme of of responding to good news is what we'll be focusing on today. As we continue in this series, Carols of the King, and as we look at this song that we just heard sung so beautifully, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark, meaning listen. Herald, a message. In other words, listen to the message that these angels are proclaiming. We've been in this series for several weeks now, looking at these beautiful hymns and the words that so often we sing without really thinking about all that much. 
and thinking about the message behind them. And so today as we look at this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, this song is a little bit unique from the ones that we've been looking at so far because it points us directly to one specific moment in the Christmas story. A moment that we heard read earlier in the service. Luke chapter 2, these angels declaring this moment that a newborn king has been born. And so Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending most of our time today, and we're going to be looking at this song and looking at the scripture behind it. And in it, we see this same response that we see and that we so often experience, a response to good news, wanting to spread the word as much as we can. And so let's go ahead and put the first verse up here, and let me just read it for you as we think about these words. It says, Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. So today what we're going to be doing is looking at the first three verses of this beautiful song and then taking a theme or a big idea that we also see reflected in Scripture. And so this first idea that we see is this idea of glory of the King. We see this glory of this newborn King. And so what I want to do is just take you to Luke chapter 2 and read just a few verses of the Christmas story. This is Luke Luke 2 starting in verse 8. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, great joy for all people. I'm curious, have you uh, ever been somewhere where as soon as you walked in, you realized that you were underdressed? Or maybe you've been somewhere and you feel like, man, I just do not belong here. A few years ago, uh, Judy's parents got us a weekend away at a very nice hotel in downtown Chicago. I think it was a a Christmas present or or something like that. And and we are not typically nice hotel type of people. And so this was a big deal for us. We were really excited and we went out and explored the city. And and the next morning we woke up and we we went downstairs because we were told there was a uh, continental breakfast that they offered. And so we show up and we're in like sweatpants and and t-shirts and we walk into this place and it feels like we're walking into church on Easter morning. Like people were dressed up as dressed they can be and and we were just like, this is not what I was used to. Like the the continental breakfast I'm used to, you just hope people wearing shoes and you hope the eggs are cooked. That's kind of my speed. Uh, And so we sat down and we uh, ordered two coffees and, and as we were doing, someone handed us menus. And that had never happened to me before at a continental breakfast. And so something really seemed off, and something wasn't adding up for us. Finally, uh, we were trying to figure this out. Finally, I looked at the cover of the menu, and we realized this was not a continental breakfast. This was a restaurant called the Continental. (laughs) And the coffees that we had ordered were $6 a piece. And nothing else on the menu was less than $20. (laughs) So we had walked into this fancy restaurant wearing sweatpants and t-shirts, and Judy and I, we look at each other, neither of us say a word, we put our menus down, we stand up, we put our heads down, and we just walk away. (laughs) 
And as we left, the, the host of this fancy restaurant looked at me, and he gave me a look that I can only describe as, that's probably for the best. <laughs> so, so that didn't feel too good. I wonder, though, if you've ever felt that way before, where, where you've been somewhere and you feel like, yeah, I, just, I just don't fit in here. I don't belong. I'm underdressed, or I just don't measure up for whatever reason. See, this is the uh, beauty of, of the story that we're looking at today. What I love about all of Scripture is that these are the very people that God so often uses. That so often part of God's story is using people that everyone else would look at and say, they don't belong here. This is so important for us to understand. That at this moment in history, as in the story that we're looking at, the most amazing thing in history has just happened. This newborn king has arrived. Christ is born in Bethlehem. And so far, the only ones that know are a teenage girl accused of adultery living in disgrace. Her fiancé that for some reason hasn't left her. And now these shepherds. This is who God reveals this glorious news to. Not the famous, not the wealthy, not the powerful or the educated. This group of shepherds. People who in the time would be considered at the bottom of society. Uneducated, unworthy, unclean. Not good enough. And yet this is what God does. Look again at verse 8 and 9 with me. It says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is how God shares this news of the birth of Jesus. This is the kind of God that we have, the one that would choose these unlikely recipients of glory. This first thing that we see, these unlikely recipients. That rather than appearing in the city of Jerusalem, rather than appearing in the city square in the middle of the day for all the world to see, it happens in the middle of the night in a field while the whole world slept. He did not appear to Caesar. He did not appear to kings. He did not appear to rabbis, to the educated, to the righteous. He sent an angel to appear to these group of shepherds the most unlikely recipients of this glorious news. This is what's so fascinating about this choice, because what we see in history is that the temple flock, in other words, the sheep that were kept for temple sacrifices, were raised and kept in Bethlehem. And so here are these shepherds watching these sheep that would be used to forgive sins and bring reconciliation back to God, being told that they were going to go out of business one day. See, no one who wanted to make up a story would start with shepherds. They don't belong. They're not good enough. But God says this is where the story begins. With shepherds in a field in the middle of the night. And this is why this story should be encouraging to each one of us because it is proof to us that no matter how inadequate or unimportant or incapable we might feel, we have a God that speaks to shepherds. We have a Savior that chose fishermen and tax collectors instead of teachers and experts. This is the God that we have, the one whose greatest works often come from the most unlikely sources. 
And this is the beauty of the Christmas story. The thing that we must shout from the rooftops, the thing that you need to hear if you deal with low self-esteem or if you're always comparing yourself to others. That no matter what you have done or haven't done, no matter how you feel about yourself, how you view yourself, that you belong at God's table. And you belong in his story today. And so leads us from these unlikely recipients to this unlikely message. Look at verse 10 with me. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, this is this unlikely message that this angel is declaring. He's declaring this good news, the word for the gospel, the good news that we will declare for all of time that it is for all the people. And this is something that would be so easy for us to miss today, but for the people that heard it that day and the first followers of Jesus, this would have been impossible to understand. We've been talking about this, actually, if you've been with us during our series in the book of Mark, following the king, one of the things that people never understood about Jesus was the kind of king that he came to be. See, the Jewish people were expecting a king that would be for them that would put Israel back on the map and defeat Rome and defeat all of their enemies. The Savior they imagined was theirs and theirs alone. And yet the truth is what we see here on day one, that the good news is good news for all people. The good news is good news for all people. This is what we have to understand as well. To understand the gospel To understand the good news is to believe that it is good news not just for good people who never mess up. It is good news for all who repent and believe. The good news is not just good news for the faithful Jewish people, but also to the Romans that oppress them. It's not just good news for the put-together person who grew up with a Bible in their hand, but for someone with a life filled with mistakes. It is good news for those stuck in addiction and pain. It's good news for those estranged from their families. It's good news with those who have shame in their past, for people who don't feel like they measure up, for people who don't feel like they belong. To understand the good news is to believe that the people that have made mistakes are the very people that Jesus came to this earth for. To understand the gospel is to treat people with love and compassion and not judgment and shame. This is the unlikely message that the shepherds heard that night. Good news, great joy for all people. Look now with me to uh, verse 2 of this beautiful song. We see this next theme here. It says this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This is the next idea, the next theme that we need to look at today, the birth of the king. This birth of the king. Uh, I mentioned that our son uh, Luca is 10 weeks old today, and I shared this a few weeks ago, but he actually wasn't supposed to be born until a couple of days ago. And so he was very early, and when he was born, he weighed three pounds and six ounces, which is like very small. And I remember so clearly that day, 
Remember so clearly the, the emotions that we felt, the happiness and the joy, but also the feeling like I was going to break him. Like, maybe those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. Hopefully I'm not alone here, but, but I just remember holding him, and this life was just so fragile and delicate. And the nurses would tell us, like, you're not going to break him. Babies are strong. And I was like, no, he's not. Like, look at him. He's not strong. And it was just so, so terrifying. Here, here was this tiny little being needing help to breathe and to eat and to do all of the things that we take for granted. And I don't understand how any of us make it to adulthood. It's crazy. And yet this to me is, is the most incredible part of the Christmas story. The, the most incredible part of the gospel story. It's something that separates Christianity from any other belief system, any other way of explaining why we're here and what life is all about. That he chose to become one of those tiny and helpless little beings. That he was willing to come to us, that he was willing to be dependent on the ones that he came to save for every little thing. See, this is what the angels declared that day. Look with me to verse 11 of our story. It says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory! To God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. <clears throat> so here we see two more unlikely parts of this story. And unlikely savior and an unlikely response. First, we see this unlikely savior, this one who comes as a newborn king. And in this song that we're looking at, we see this name, Emmanuel. We talked about this a few weeks ago, this name meaning God with us, how it is the Christmas story in a nutshell. That while religion says you must be good enough to earn God's love, the gospel says God's love is not dependent on your goodness. He loves you so much, and he, think, he thinks you're so valuable and worthy that Emmanuel happened. That God became one of us. That God was with us. And he is with us today. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is what the angel declared that day. That this emptiness has happened, that in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, the city where David was born, there is one lying in a manger who has done this thing for you. Who's been given these three titles, look again at verse 11, these three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. These titles show us so much about who Jesus is and why he came to us. That he came to be our Savior, literally our Deliverer, the one who brings salvation. Jesus says this himself in Luke chapter 19. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. 
that this baby would go on to fulfill that title to bring us salvation by the cross and by the empty tomb. Then Christ, a title meaning the anointed one, that this baby did not come out of nowhere but was sent and blessed and empowered by the Father. This mystery of the Trinity that we never fully understand, and yet we see a picture of it in Mark chapter 1, when God says, you are my son with whom I am pleased. And then Lord, meaning master or supreme authority, meaning that this song is correct when it refers to Jesus as a newborn king, that he has come not just to bring you salvation, but to be the king of your life and of your heart. This is your unlikely savior. And then look at this unlikely response, both of the angels and of the shepherds. Look first at what the angels say in verse 13. Suddenly there was, the, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is their response to this newborn king. That suddenly, out of nowhere, a host of angels, an army of angels appear, and they say, Glory to God in the highest. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about who this is that is declaring these words. The angels that have seen God do so much that know who God is. They know that he has created everything around us. They have seen him do miraculous works. They have seen him deliver his people. They've seen him raise up prophets and priests and kings. And yet, of all the things that they've seen, this is worthy of the highest glory. This baby born In a manger, nothing that God has done has been more worthy of praise until this moment. Nothing has been more worthy of singing, of glorifying him than this. Because of that, they cannot keep themselves from sharing the good news. They cannot keep themselves from singing God's praise. And then we see the shepherds' response in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love that phrase. They went with haste to find the one that they were looking for. I love that reaction. I I picture it the same way that when we were kids, we would run downstairs on Christmas morning to find what was under the tree and unwrap those presents as fast as we could. I can imagine those shepherds looking at each other in awe that they were the ones to receive this good news, to see this sight, and they would just immediately drop everything. They would leave their sheep. They would risk their jobs because all that mattered was going to Bethlehem to see this Savior, this Christ, this Lord. I wonder, though, for you and for me as we read this story all these years later, if we have the same excitement, the same urgency to spend some time with our Savior. I remember as kids, my brother and I, maybe you were the same way, we would wake up as early as possible on Christmas morning, and we would be banging on our parents' door, and we were just so energetic, and we'd run down as soon as they would let us to start the Christmas festivities. I also remember the first year that that didn't happen. As we got to an age where we were old enough, where sleep was the greatest present that we could think of. And all we wanted to do was sleep 
as late as they would let us. And it kind of felt like something had shifted, that some of the excitement of the Christmas season had left. I think oftentimes the same thing can be true in our faith. The same thing can be true where maybe we can think back to a time where we were just desperate to spend time with Jesus, where we had this expectation, this excitement about what God was going to do in our lives. And yet so often, over time, it begins to fade. Friends, if the good news is the good news, this is the only proper response. To run towards Jesus as fast as we can. To celebrate, to praise, to worship glory to God. Let us be the people that do that. That run towards the manger and that run towards the cross. This brings us to our our final points, the work of the king. The work of the king. Let me read the final verse of this beautiful hymn. It says this, Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So, here we see these three works, these three reasons or purposes for the Christmas story. And let me just finish what we are reading in Luke chapter 2. This is verse 17. And when they saw it, that's the shepherds, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love that line. This idea that these shepherds ran to Jesus, found him in the manger, and then preached the good news to Mary and Joseph that night. That your son is the son of righteousness, the prince of peace, that he will bring light and life and healing. What a beautiful moment that must have been. Many of us, you've probably heard this phrase before, maybe you've used this phrase before, this idea that Jesus is the reason for the season. It's probably familiar to many of us, and certainly that's the case for those of us that are Jesus followers. But let's take that a step further today. What is the reason for Jesus? What reason did he have for being born? What is the reason for the incarnation of Jesus? This is what this final verse of this song tells us. It gives us these three things, these three unlikely purposes, three reasons that he was born into this world. First, we see that he was born that no more may die. This is found in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. It says, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is what this song declares. That because of Jesus, the purpose with which he came was to unite with him in life and in death and in the resurrection. That at Christmas, we do not just celebrate the birth of a child, but the birth of a new way of living, a new system. That through his birth and through the death that would come and through the resurrection that would follow it, we have been united 
with Christ. We are united with him. Second, uh, born to raise sons of earth. Let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This was a Roman practice of the time where someone with great wealth who was left without an heir would adopt a younger man as a son in order to make him an heir, to carry on his lineage and his business and his wealth. And so here we cry out, we declare that God has chosen us. He has made us not just slaves, but sons and daughters of his. That we are children of his love, that we will inherit the earth and be part of his kingdom forever. And then third, born to give them second birth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 talks about this idea. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the truth of the gospel. That if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in him, you are not the same person that you were before. That being, follower, being a follower of Jesus is not about just being a better version of yourself. It's not about self-improvement. It's about rebirth. It's about renewal. It's about resurrection. We are new creations called to put the old self away because the new has come. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. New birth. The birth of Jesus and the second birth of ourselves. Recognizing that he came into this world that we would have new life. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. The beauty of Christmas is not found in lights or presents or family traditions, as great as those things are. The beauty of the Christmas story is that so much of it wasn't all that beautiful. The truth is, the first Christmas night, the night that changed everything for you and for me, probably wasn't all that calm, and it probably wasn't all that bright. It wasn't easy. It wasn't neat. It wasn't all put together. This is the Christmas story. A crying baby, an overwhelmed set of parents, sitting in a barn, surrounded by shepherds. And yet this is why it's so beautiful, because just like he so often does, God had a plan in the mess that night. And on that night, we were given ultimate proof of how far God's love is willing to go for you and for me. We were given proof of God's love, and it is found in that manger that night. In the form of a baby, a Savior, born into helplessness and humility and pain. It's found in that child, born for you. And it's found in the same child that would grow up and die for you too. Christmas is so much more than a great story followed by a bunch of family traditions. It is one of the defining moments in history. A moment that angels saw and could not help themselves from spreading the good news, from worshiping God's name and praising him that night. Today, let us do the same.
Let us be people that praise and worship him for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you now, and we're grateful for the Christmas story. God, we're grateful that you sent your son for us. Lord, that he was willing to do what he did for us, that he was willing to enter into humility and pain. Lord, that he was willing to do that for us. Father, allow us to truly reflect on the Christmas story. Allow our hearts to worship you because of it now. Let us be sharers of the good news in how we live and in what we say. Father, we pray this all in your name. Amen.